The word of mouth of Content Cow was the thing that really encouraged us to grow so quickly. You know, as I've started to you know, mature, get a bit more experience with this stuff. It's what I would talk about all the time for being the most important thing that any business does. That's Andy Lambert, co-founder of social media and content planning tool Content Cal. And over the course of five years, the team at Content Cal raised over $10 million, grew to be used by multiple thousands of customers in over 100 countries, won numerous awards, and at the end of 2021, were acquired by Adobe Incorporated. And in this episode of Your Truth Shared, we dive into some of the nitty gritty of that growth journey. And I'd be surprised if you didn't walk away with some insight that you could apply to your own business. I'm Fanola Howard, intuitive marketer, your host and founder of How Great Marketing Works. I believe that every business has a story to tell because that's how the market decides whether to buy or not. And your story has to resonate with who you are and with the people you want to serve. And this podcast is about helping you reach the market in a way that feels right to you. So if you're an entrepreneur with a dream you want to make real, then this is the podcast for you because great marketing is your truth shared. Product creator, founder of a wonderful product that I would have recommended to people many times in the past to my own clients. It's a um, a social media scheduler called Content Cal. He's had this amazing journey for five to six years and has recently just sold the company to Adobe, which is must be a dream come true. But let's go and talk to Andy Lambert, who I came in contact with because he always struck me as somebody who was very human centered, and also a bit of a grafter because he reached out to me a couple of years ago, I remember, because he wanted to share this wonderful product with more and more people to make that process much more manageable, much more easy and much more connected. So welcome, Andy. Thank you, Fanella, for the wonderful introduction. That's really appreciated. <laughs> well, we, we have to do these things, you know, so... But it always did strike me this. You always had a smile on your face. You always wanted to reach out to see how we could collaborate or you could collaborate with others to actually make this thing happen. So I I would love you to share this story because it always seems when we look back on this story, it seems so methodical. But I'd like to hear what your view is on your own story and your own journey. Yeah, it- it it does sometimes seem that way. I agree. So uh, let's just kind of break it down. It makes it seem slightly less um, methodical and more <laughs> more guess, learn, and make it up as you go along type of tactic. Which is possibly more uh, real. Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> I would like to think yeah. so. I'd like to think so. So <laughs> so so first thing, uh, I, yeah, to, to give credit where it's due, uh, the idea for Content Cal was not mine. It's a guy called Alex Packham, who was the CEO of Content Cal. He had this idea. Mm-hmm. I was introduced to him at an idea stage. I was gainfully employed um, at that point and decided to join Alex on the journey, despite at that point me being less than convinced about what the product actually looked like at that point. But so interesting. What made you want to jump if you were gainfully employed? Um, I think I've always been um egotistical enough to think that I can do it for myself maybe um (laughs) and and I think when what what I've learned in this journey and I think this is probably one thing I'd like to share with everyone is like 
irrespective of what you end up building or creating, whether it's software, whether it's service or whatever it might be, the people that you do it with are the people that mean uh, and matter more than anything else. Because uh, if you work with people you know, like trust, have the same worldviews as you, then magic is going to happen anyway. Mm. Um, so mm. ir irrespective of me seeing uh, this product that Alex kind of showed me some designs for, I think kind of unconvinced by it, but I, I believed enough in the vision uh, of Alex and felt like, you know what, whether this ends up be becoming this product or we end up doing something else, whatever, I feel like, you know, working with this individual, um, I feel like magic can happen. I like that, though, that you've you've really identified that thing of you believed in the person and you believed in the vision. That means that that guy must have, Alex must have been really clear what he wanted to do from the very beginning. Yeah, it's clarity is is good, but also just like you meet people with out and out determination. And, you know, that the fact that failing isn't even an, an option. It's not like they're mm. they're not even considering uh, the downsides and it's not like they are avoiding reality. It's like we whether whether this product will work or another one doesn't matter. The fact is I'm on a journey to be able to build a software company and I will move heaven and earth to do it. And that's that's the same same thing that I was feeling. I was like I have an absolute passion to to create a company from scratch and create a company that I was proud of. Um, mm. you know, because I you know, like with most people who are gainfully employed, yes, you get all of the good stuff that comes with that, as in pensions and security and all mm. of that lovely stuff. Um, but the downside and the trade-off that you pay for that, the corporate comfort trap, as I call it, is that the trade-off is you have to do things on other people's terms and create value for other people. And and naturally in that process, there'll be things that you encounter within the organization that you work for that you feel you wish it could be done another way. You could wish you could look after customers better. You wish there were different principles or culture. And at some point you realize that you can't change everything. Um, you know, mm -hmm. you can manage upwards to a degree, but ultimately you're not in charge of the organization. Your say doesn't, doesn't really go. Do you think, uh, do you think that more and more people are having this realization and that because there is this view that we're moving into a world where much a higher percentage of self-employed people, freelance people now, do you think that that's the norm then becoming the norm? Yeah, I, I think so. And, and increasingly so. Um, I think that the company called Linktree, um, the kind of link sharing tool, they came out and said, because they do reports on the creator economy, which is a subset of like the gig economy that you're kind of referring to yeah. here, where increasingly people are wanting to control their own lifestyle, their own existence. And there's there's becoming an increasing question on like, what does work life balance even mean? And why why are we trading off work and life? Why are we just not living life and having yeah. how we make money just fit into our life and how we want to live and live out our existences? Um, and that's what the creator economy is is facilitating, right? So and mm. I think yes, as as people get more aware of things like sustainability, thinking of um, representation opportunities, and not like this is a new thing that's been existed for a long time, but the organizations that people might work for, I expect people will question more. And there's more optionality. It's not like, oh, I have to work for this company for five years, or, you know, I can't, I don't have any, any other options. Because one, 
you know, the great resignation that we've seen over the last two years unfold since COVID. Mm. Um, mm. The fact is, like, even though economically, you know, we've got inflation, we've got some interesting things on the horizon of potential recessions. But the thing that's very different from the past is that there is a record number of both job vacancies and openings. And also, there's a, a record number of people moving roles. So we've got an incredibly buoyant employment market, which means, you know, people don't need to put up with uh, jobs that don't support their own ambitions and worldviews. And then mm. you've also got on the other side, that creator economy piece, the gig economy piece, where people can go ahead and, you know, there's a lot more optionality for people to build their own careers, lifestyles as they so please. And it's accepted. Yeah. You know, that's the big thing. We have permission. We have given ourselves permission to do that. Yeah, we absolutely have. Um, and yeah, and then part of that, uh, that kind of triad of, um, you know, in free flowing employment, gig economy, creator economy. And then there's also, you know, entrepreneurship, which is becoming more accessible, right? Uh, it's still not as accessible as it, as it could or, or should be. Um, but there's, you know, and it, there's, there's ways into entrepreneurship, which doesn't always mean, you know, because mine isn't the story of like, giving it all up, putting it all on black and hoping for the best because I had I had young children when I started this. Um, well, I mm. still have young children now, but um, mm -hmm. um, and and have more uh, because I like to make life <laughs> more complex. But um, yeah. but I, you know, I I couldn't not live with a salary. So for me to join uh, and build something from scratch, which I desired, yes, I had to take a massive cut on the salary. But I joined someone. Uh, we, you know, we raise some investment and that investment helped kind of facilitate a salary for both of us. So there is, it's not like, oh, I had to eat beans and my, make my family eat beans for, for three years to, to build this. There's other ways into entrepreneurship that isn't always about like, hey, I'm just going to quit, throw it all up and, and create a company. Because, you know, as a, I was what, 30 when I started this, when I started Content Cal, mm. you know, you know, I'm quite into my life. You yeah. know, I'm not an 18 year old with no risk. And, you know, I've got all of the the trappings of, you know, a approaching middle aged person with yeah. you know, mortgages, life insurances, all that boring stuff. I like this idea, though, that and maybe you can tell us a little bit more, even uh, this idea that you when you spoke to Alex, you was the first step. Well, how will you fund this? Yeah, uh, well, at the point. And this is where this is where luck and meeting, knowing the right people helps immeasurably. So yeah. um, to give you the kind of full picture. Um, so I was gainfully employed doing I was in a sales role. So, you know, business is, is the thing that I was interested in. So as doing that normally, um, then decided that I want to do it. You know, I feel like I have the ambition to grow a company, but I'm not willing to take the risk, the financial risk that we we're just talking about. So I joined a company I found it basically a company that set up in the in the US that was doing well, but wanted a launch in the UK. And I wanted to, mm. I was like, that seems like a perfect opportunity to, to cut my teeth on how we build something from scratch, but without the financial risk. And in doing that, did that for a couple of years, um, which was which went quite well. Um, and in that journey, then I met who someone who would become my mentor, his name is Colin, who I kind of cite everywhere as the, the person <laughs> that really is responsible for how I am where I am right now and it's all about people that you meet you can never meet enough people I think you know this for Nola as well anyway mm -hmm. right so um 
the more people you meet, the more people that you get involved with in the things that you want to do. In my case, it was like starting a company. How can I meet as many people as possible in doing that? Because it's those that you know that will help facilitate your journey. And, you know, like the old adage goes, you are who you spend your time with. So, um, so I, I can't overstate that. So either way, at that point, um, so Colin then became my mentor and he also independently was mentoring Alex. Colin, oh, Colin, yeah, Colin is a high net worth individual and he said, you know, if I, if I join, he'll put in, you know, a quarter of a million quid into the company to help fuel its growth, uh, of which, you know, helps pay. Uh, my salary is not a quarter of a million pounds, it's, f- it's fair to say, but it, it helps <laughs> well, feel... kind of assumed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I realise how bad that sounds. No, very much not. <laughs> but, um, you know, help fuel the growth of the business, hire some additional staff, etc., just to get, you know, marketing, all the stuff that you need, development, all the stuff you need. Um, but that was the thing that allowed me to, to take that leap into, right, let's create something absolutely from scratch now. Uh, but... Uh, how do we mitigate uh, the financial risk associated with it? Mm. Yes, there's still a lot of financial risk. It's a huge, it's a huge life change pay cut uh, and all of the job security. I went from working in a very nice office into some horrible shared basement. But, you know, I did question my life choices a little bit, as you would do in that journey. But, you, mm. know, um, you know, there are some sacrifices. But what I just wanted to explain from that last kind of five minutes of soliloquy is like, there are ways into entrepreneurship without um, you know, having to, to chuck it all away and just going your own path there. You know, there's, there's lots mm. of ways of, um, of getting into it. And um, yeah, sometimes it's just more of, a, if more of a real story that people can identify with that. Yeah, it's not all, always for like 20 year olds to get into it, you know. But did you require, you know, to be involved? Did you require like, to be a founder, to be part of the sharehold structure of it. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a conversation by the sounds of things that uh, Alex said, I need a sales guy. It was, was it, tell us about that conversation, if you don't mind. Yeah, no, of course. Well, the, the initial conversation was, you know, I've got this idea. You, uh, you come recommended by Colin because you know how to, to grow things from scratch. So so naturally, you know, sales is a is a part of it, but also broader. How do we take it to market? How do we mm. how do we build ev- everything that involves customers, which is how we look after people, how we create advocacy, um, you know, e- everything. So, so of course that was that was the conversation, and that was the the main reason you know Alex brought me in, and then we kind of agreed a you know a financial package that that makes sense and that, that that gives you know upsides and rewards at the tail end of the journey in sacrifice mm. for you know to compensate for um you know the the cut you're taking in uh, yeah. in a in a day-to-day salary or months to months rather makes sense so you joined then what happened tell us the rest of the journey um yeah so after joining that was end of 2016 uh, then commences all of the excitement kind of like initial excitement of three months of like, what are we going to do? Building, thinking about plans and strategy or whatever. The reality is most plans never actually come to pass anyway. So planning is good and it's good. It helps you feel excited about things, sticking, sticking notes up on the wall. It's all good. You know, it feels like, you know, high momentum startup vibe where you're super excited to, you know, work isn't work in that point. You're just like, 
I can't wait to start Monday because I get in the office and speak with all of these people that have shared am- ambitions and vision. And really, there was only three or four of us at that point. So it's kind of like, you know, it's like a mm. huddle every day of trying to think out, like, what could this product be? Then, of course, at some point, um, you know, the thinking has got to stop because you, you can't really develop it that much further. You've basically got to do something that is, you know, your minimum viable product. And you've got to get some people to buy the darn thing. So that's mm. where um, we remove all of the glamour of what an entrepreneur, what we think about startup vibes of like sitting in fancy offices on beanbags or whatever. Um, you're like, actually, all we've got to do is basically email as many people as we can and try and get to speak to as many people as possible to extol the virtues of Content Cal, whether that's extolling the virtues to encourage someone to, to buy, the, buy the thing and subscribe to it, which is obviously incredibly hard in the early stages when you've literally got nothing, uh, you know, no, no social proof, no evidence, nothing. Uh, I'll talk more about that in a second. Or, you know, you're speaking to people to help them become advocates in the future, just enroll them in the journey trying to get Mm. feedback from as many people as well. And in this, if anyone wants to go on this kind of journey, the the book I recommend is a book called The Startup Owner's Manual, which is, you know, it's a very nicely descriptive name because it does Mm -hmm. exactly what it says on the tin. Um, And the... It's a, it's a weighty tome. It's probably about 500 pages long. Uh, but really, the first two chapters is all that most people need, which is what's called a customer discovery process. And that mm-hmm. kind of transforms our initial approach of how we go to market rather than you know, just try and email a load of people to try and get them into demos to, to sell them a product. It's more about f- pivoting that conversation to focus on I would love to understand. Here's the conversation is more like, hey, Fanolos, as a social media and content marketing like practitioner, I would love to understand your views on the challenges that you face and what could make your life better when it comes to, you know, creating and, and publishing and analyzing content. And that was the kind of approach that that we took. And, you know, I was just flying around the country, flying, driving around the country and trying, trying to just speak to as many people as possible to to truly understand um, people's challenges in more depth because no, no business plan is a, is a quote from um, the Startup Owners Manual, which is so, so true, which is no business plan survives first contact with customers. Love it. Because as soon as you start speaking to people, they go, mm, have you thought about this? You're like, ah, good point. You know, we... You know, we all thought that we we got social media marketing, and we and we do. Alex was a social media marketer. I'd spent a lot of time in in marketing uh, as well as in my sales roles, so we mm. we thought we got it. But and we did to a degree. We're like people typically liked our approach, but naturally, it needs other people to validate this because that was one of the mm. that's one of the the things we made. We we went into developing content cal before we'd spoken to enough people and really got truly deep insight. So we ended up having to re-engineer some, some bits. And the, the joy of doing that kind of customer discovery process is that it not only fuels product development and helps you hit the mark with your product more effectively, it enrolls people as part of the journey because you know, not everyone's going to be interested in doing this because not everyone you know, is interested in, you know, uh, going first and being like a leader of, of a new product and then wanting to kind of invest emotionally. But a lot of people do. 
And so if you can find those people, they not only help fuel your product development, they help fuel usage of the product because they just want to use it. They care enough that they'll talk about it with others. And, mm-hmm. you know, in some instances, they might end up buying the product as well. But really for those early ones, my main interest was like, I just want to get you to use it and use it regularly. Because if these people that we're giving it to for free, you know, and that's informing our product development, if they're not using it regularly, then what chance do we have of getting people to to pay for it? But then you're also, not only are you discovering so you, you can develop product better, you're creating, so you're creating your product informed by customers, but you're also creating champions in the process. 100%. And then as, you know, inadvertently, I wish, I'd, I'd like to say in hindsight, this is the plan all along, but it's it's one of these, <laughs> I like to be, you know, this is a true shared podcast and I, I mean, typically I like to be quite real about this stuff. Uh, this was a happy accident that the fact is like the word of mouth of Content Cow was the thing that really encouraged us to grow so quickly and Mm. you know as I've started to you know mature get a bit more experience with this stuff you know it's what I would talk about all the time for being the most important thing that any business does is you know no one really cares about what an organization says about themselves they care what others say about that organization Mm. so if you can start that from right at the beginning in what we've just been talking about then you create a foundation for, as you say, those those champions that foster word of mouth in their communities. And especially, you know, the way that social media is it's going and the way that communities are proliferating, the whole creator economy is inspiring this, where there's so many more niche communities that now exist. And within those niche communities, there is an inherent trust within those communities, right? So let's say, Finola, you're in a community of content marketers and the person that runs that community recommends something inherently mm. you know it doesn't, doesn't mean you're going to go ahead and straight away buy it but inherently there's more trust there because you're like i already respect that individual that individual is telling me that this thing is a good thing then naturally you know already my natural reticence to look at something and my natural distrust of things has gone away so then my question for you is did you guys use ads uh yeah we did and yeah i've got a lot of a lot of viewpoints on on ads so i'll try and keep it i'll try and keep it short initially so in december beginning of december uh no this was yeah december 2016 i was just yeah just trying to remember digging in the memory banks here uh, we put out our first kind of google ppc campaign right and that was yeah. that was useful in getting a lot of people in the top of the funnel because at that point it was only in December 2016 that we allowed people to sign up to Content Cal for free. Standard like free trial methodology. Before that point, and all of the kind of customer discovery process that I was talking about, I had to manually add people into the product to get them to, to use it and you know, you know, test it out, etc. So naturally turning something around and having it as a as a free trial, that then became like the inbound marketing engine. The other mm. challenge, however, when, and we learnt this very quickly, is that, you know, if you build it, they don't necessarily come. And we, we thought we'd have many more people come to us straight away. So whilst this PPC campaign initially did drive maybe a couple of hundred people in the top of the funnel, because there was very little context in the, in the product, it was quite a simple product at that point. It wasn't, you know, we didn't have much education around the product. 
as in, you know, yeah. user guidance, et cetera. Um, we found like we didn't create any users that really stuck around. So, so then what we'd found, we, we've got ourselves a bit of a kind of like um, a dilemma between two sides. You've got the, the, the people that we've got to champion the business that, you know, uh, I've spoken to and we've kind of created a connection, become friends, et cetera. And it's, we've created a, a deeper emotional connection that runs beyond the product because runs beyond mm. the limitations of the features. Um, and then we've got people that are coming in that have no inherent baseline of trust in the business. So they don't know. Mm. They're just trying to find a social mm. media tool. They see it and they're like, ah, yeah, I get it. Fine. I'll come back to it later because there's no, there's no trust. There's no brand. They don't, they don't connect with that. And I think, you know, whilst I didn't realize it at this time, it's another kind of quote to, that, I, that I go back to now because I can now see it in hindsight as, as everything. Everything's 2020 in hindsight, isn't it? So, um, so thinking about it now, you realize that it isn't the best products don't win. It's, it's the product with the best brand that wins. You know, people don't buy products with rationality. They buy, they buy with emotion and then they justify with logic. So, yeah. And when you haven't Love that. created that emotional connection with an audience in advance, which PPC you haven't, um, then as a result, they don't have an un, you know an outsized weight favorability to your product, right? So mm. anyone that's kind of interacted with us directly, you know, you know that was our unfair advantage, right? Because they're like, oh. I know content cal, they're brilliant, brilliant, great thing, great bunch of people feel like I feel like I'm listened to, you know, so those people are like, this product's going to be the best thing. It's, it's got some limitations, but, you know, they feel like, like an emotional connection towards it. So they have, you know, unwavering belief in the business. So that's why PPC didn't work in the in the early days. It has as as time went on, we we ended up spending a lot on ads over one hundred thousand pounds per month on ads. Um, per month, per wow! Month. Yeah, so it was a lot. It it was at what point? At what point? This was uh, now. I'm talking into 2020 and 21, right? So we saw okay at that point. You know, we wouldn't have invested in ads, and this is another kind of takeaway because I would say until early 2018, or maybe maybe even as far as mid 2018. I wouldn't say we had product market fit. Product market fit is like the thing in startup land where, you know, if you've got this thing called product market fit, where you feel like, uh, as the name suggests, feel like our product is now in lockstep with the market. We feel like our positioning and our feature set and the way we find customers is all so repeatable that product market fit is nailed. And only when you have product market fit can you then scale a business because Otherwise, if you try and scale before, you're just going to hit inefficiencies because, you know, you either haven't found the go to market that works, you haven't found the messaging that works, or there's some feature deficits in your product. So, so that's why product market fits such an important thing. Uh, and I think we thought we had it before, before we did, to be honest. And the way you can, you can feel that it's happening is that um, people are organically finding your organization so it's going to take time so people already know that they have a problem and it's a problem that you solve so that's kind of tick one the messages that you share are ones that resonate with the customers and the way that we we could identify this is that every single demo 
uh, of content calendar in the early days, I would say exactly the same thing because in the early days, it was just me doing doing the demos. So it's not it's not glam like all the time, you know, because I think that's really important for, for founding teams and founders of a business to always stay incredibly connected to the market. Some founders mm. like to like, you know, t- like to hire salespeople too early. Um, and that creates mm. a disconnect, right? Because these, like I said, these people are going to be your advocates. So you need to absolutely understand that. So until you get to product market fit, founders need to stay so close to sales. So anyway, when you're saying the same thing every time, you can start to see, you know, people have started to nod their heads at the same time. Like, oh, do you feel like this? Isn't it a nightmare when you've got another Excel document to send to a client to get their approval on? And then we're like, oh God, isn't it a pain? You know, and you start to feel that, Everyone's uniting around this same thing. I feel like we've got an angle. And that angle really ended up becoming, you know, the first market that we really wanted to double down on, uh, which was agencies, right? So agencies Mm. really felt this pain intrinsically. So, you know, Mm. our marketing, our go-to-market strategy and the features we prioritize all were built around this audience. So naturally, you know, you'll build audiences over time. And that's why I'm a huge advocate of um, of a concept called your minimum viable audience, which is the smallest possible mm. subset of an audience that you need to go to in order to scale a business. Because you can't, you know, basically, if you try to appeal to everyone, you'll appeal to precisely no one. So the more focused you can be uh, as an organization in the early stages, the better the outcome is, is because you're limited by resource heavily. So... Um, yeah, you, you need to like zero in on it. I think that's very, it's very reassuring, reassuring for people listening in that this is a milestone. This yeah. feel of product market fit, of resonance, of nodding at the same time, of having that lovely subset of minimum viable audience, that this is a stage. Mm. And it's nice to know when you, you're going, okay, we've got that, now we move. Yeah. Because I think always in the journey, it's the problem is usually moving too fast or moving too slow into a next stage. 100%. It's a, it's a brilliant call out. Yeah, I totally agree with classifying it as a milestone. It's, yeah, it's something you need to pass before, before you move forward. And from that point then, because then you know what, who you're trying to target with your ads and then you know exactly mm. the messaging you need to target. So as a result, then ad effectiveness increases that, that was our misstep in, in ads, trying to go too broad, not really knowing who our audience were. But ads are also really good for doing that kind of audience testing and then accelerating a bit more testing. So, you know, it's, it's good to, to do split tests to, to run ads across multiple different audiences. But that, for me, that's like kind of tiny budget type of stuff. But when you're really wanting to scale and going to the, the realm of spending, you know, 100 grand a month on ads, Particularly PPC was the thing because, you know, that, that was the thing that really converted for us um, going into 2020. Then that was the thing that I think the other mistake we made with ads is that, yes, it was great for driving like short term, you know, lead flow. So we got to, mm. you know, our inbound leads were maybe about two and a half thousand new people every single month would come into, you know, take a trial of Content Cal and then, you know, go through the flows. We'd have the sales team saying the same thing that I said, you know, multiple, a couple of years before, so that we've kind of honed that process where they're kind of drilled and they have exactly the same patterns that they go through because we know we've got product market fit, everyone nods at the same time to make sure the salespeople do exactly the same thing. 
So it's at this point we're mm. starting to scale. I step back from it because there is a you know a sales structure that that leads it, and it we hire sales leader professionals to organize and optimize you know, conversion rates and all that stuff. Because now we're getting into a different stage because you know very early startup stage is all about discovery, trying to figure out what works, what doesn't. As soon as you start to figure out what works, then it's time to turn on the taps, increase the budget, might have to do further fundraisers, which we did, and then start to hire in some people that that take it away from you, which for me is a bit, I'm a bit of a control freak, uh, is an uncomfortable step to, to the next one because you're like, okay, you know, I've got, there's, I've got to trust. There's, there's an element of trust here. Yes, you kind of set the framework for what you've done, but naturally people are going to optimize that. But so that worked really well. But then we got too addicted to ads. So, um, mm. you know, we got into, uh, I would say, midway through 21. Um, already the kind of acquisition stuff was happening um, in the background anyway, but we're, we're still trucking on as a business. But the over addiction to ads um, was that, you know, we were looking at our kind of like lead flow, which was the main metric we were looking at, like how many leads are we getting every every single month? And what we defined as a lead was people signing up to, to Content Cal's free trial. And because we got so like hyper-focused on that, we were looking at this every single week. So we were making micro mm. adjustments. And what we stopped appreciating was the stuff that I said right in the beginning, which is actually, you know, we, we need to be investing more in brand building because we were finding conversion rates weren't going up. They were starting to go down, actually. So that, for me, is a, is a huge clue that either we're oversaturating, that we're already capturing all the demand we can. So the fact that we've, you know, we increased budgets like tenfold up to that 100 grand mark is probably where, about where we peaked, maybe just a bit over. But the, the growth in leads was not corresponding. It's not a linear thing. It's not like, oh, I spent 50 grand last month. I did 100 grand this month. Leads doubled. Didn't work like that. In fact, the more, the more we spend, I found like quality reduced, conversion rates reduced. Because, you know, it goes right back to the start, which is like, if we haven't invested heavily enough in brand, then, mm. um, then ultimately what we... There's no connection. Exactly. And we're not... We're not building yeah. a foundation for future growth. PPC and ads is good to do your kind of like your short term stuff, your, your top up every single month. But there should be a, a fundamental upward growth trajectory that comes in organically through the power of the brand activity that you've been doing. Um, you know, and, and we, we really started to ramp this up um, from March 2020 for obvious reasons. We all know what happened then. But like all of like the online learning, education, um, launched the Content Cal Academy um, to help people like get certified in you know uh, content marketing capabilities because there's still a bit there's a large knowledge gap you know this Fanola anyway in our mm. in our industry in our space um, there's a lot that people don't know um, and it's ever changing right so even if someone did know mm. you know they might have known last week but they don't know this week um, or they often skip the fundamentals yeah yeah absolutely that's a really good point. Mm. Because, you know, social media marketing doesn't live as, a, as an island, right? It's a component of understanding mm. proper marketing strategy. Um, mm. So, yeah, all of that served us really, really well. Um, and that was the thing that really started to, to get us known um, for, like, content marketing education, right? And it brought a lot of the kind of the, the brand story from the early days of, like, you know, 
starting to really feel like content cows human um, and starting to feel that deeper connection to the business, it brought a lot of that back. Um, mm. So it's something I talk about all the time now, which is an importance of as any business that's even whether at small scale or large scale to humanize their brand, to basically yeah. get as many people in front of the camera as possible, whether it's through the camera or, or whatever format it might be, but basically represent the organizations as human beings, as individuals, be as public as you can and invest heavily in your customer's success. Not just by, you know, knowing which buttons to press on your platform, because, you know, that that's fine. But the more important thing is investing in your customer's success, what they actually need to learn to help them do their jobs better. It's our responsibility mm. and it's a business's responsibility in whatever category they operate in to do that. Because that is what content marketing is, right? Content marketing is you providing value to your customer and being customer mm. focused in the hope that they'll have a preference towards you in the fullness of time. It is brand building, mm. right? Was it, was it obvious like when you stopped and thought, like if you were having that metric of lead flow at the very start, how long did it take you to realize, oh, we've forgotten the end of the funnel? Um, that's a good question. I think, yeah, too long, uh, too long. I think we, we got to a, like in any kind of flow of a business, I think between like 2018 and into a bit of 2019, you kind of lose your way a little bit because you're like, okay, we've, yeah. we've got something. We know that it's it's growing, but it's not growing as fast as we want. Um, and it's kind of, you know, there's a, there's books written on this. I consider it the messy middle, right? So like all yeah. of the startup excitement, we found a bit of product market fit, you know, it's all buzzy. We're winning awards, yada, yada. You know, we've got some big name customers coming in. And you're like, oh, well, you know, you're in the middle bit. Like growth is not as quick as I want it to be. You know, we're still mm. resource constrained, so we can't, you know, we're still trying to raise money. We're still, you know, burning cash, mm. et cetera. We ha still haven't got the product where we want it to be, yada, yada. Um, so because there's so many challenges like that, because um, we ended up mm. having to rebuild our product from scratch for uh, reasons I won't bore you with uh, now, mm. which, which also kind of held us back in 2018. Um, so I think, you know, it's, it's not a moment you you um, you sit down and wake up and go. I've completely forgotten about something. It's I think the biggest uh, advice bit of advice I could give at this is like when you think when you step out of the weekly metrics and zoom out and start to look at actually what are the dynamics as to what's you know moving the needle for our business uh, at a at a higher level uh, and you're not yeah. looking at weekly, you're looking at quarterly, like a half yearly, you're looking at yearly. Um, and then you start to dig into, because we were using, we've used HubSpot since kind of we were founded, basically. HubSpot's have been really useful in helping us understand where people have found us uh, and, the, mm. and how long it's taken for those people to, to convert, become leads and go through that, that journey. When you look at it on a weekly basis, like we were doing, like we have a Monday morning KPI call every single, every day, and that doesn't really help um, that, that just doesn't help because it, it focuses everything on the short term and you're just fixated on like, mm. you know, what, what can we optimize to try and increase leads this week? Whereas if you zoom out, you start to go, all oh, right, actually, what we notice is that this inflow of leads that we saw last week isn't a result of PPC. We notice that all of them have come through a whole bunch of webinars that we did three months prior. 
So actually, you know, mm. you start to see the dimensions and impact um, at a broader level. And I think this is it's very popular currently to, for marketers to be like data driven, to do A, B, split yeah. testing and really to get nitty in the nitty gritty of the data. And miss the point. And miss yeah. the point. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I think. So it's like is zoom in, zoom out, zoom in, zoom out as part of the process. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah, I love it. Yeah. So, so then, so, I mean, you, your language now is saying, you know, it sounds like, oh yeah, and it took so long, but it didn't take long. This is five to six years you sold to Adobe. Like that's phenomenal. Yeah, it's a bit nuts. Uh, I'm not <laughs> sure. I'm not sure I've quite internalized it yet, but yeah, it's crazy. Cause it's also very recent. Yeah. It's only a few months. Yeah. December. Yeah. Last and year. now you're, now you've, you're now back into gainfully employed again. <laughs> the irony. For a different, yeah. The, the irony. Yeah. What's that like? What's that like? Uh, it's a, it's an adjustment. Um, yeah. I mean, the thing is, Adobe are one, the most, well, the top 25 employer on the planet. Um, mm. Incredible company. Some of the people I've spoken mm. to make me feel like such a dunce. They are so smart, <laughs> so smart. Some incredible like things that I just never get my head around. Um, some of the people that operate in that organization. Um, and, and it's a beautifully creative organization as well, which is a real natural fit for content count. Oh, yeah, uh, exactly. I think so. There's there's a couple of angles to this. So there's there's a biz there's a business angle, which is like this is the best possible acquiry we could have ever, ever have had because it fills a beautiful gap in the um, the creative ecosystem Adobe of yeah, both in the Adobe suite and the creative ecosystem of social media content that, yeah. you know, Content Cal um, known for being great at like organizing and planning and analyzing social media content, but not great at helping people come up with content, you know, uh, and that's mm. where Adobe Express is brilliant. So, but what I love about Content Cal is actually seeing the posts. Yeah. And I, that's unique. It is unique. And, you know, we're marketers are visual people, designers are visual people. So, you know, why not make it visual? So fitting into it, uh, into Adobe Express, it feels like really natural. And it also is exciting for us as individuals because it's like, mm. um, you know, the ambitions for, for Adobe uh, and how many people that will use our, our humble product that we created in the basement several years mm. ago. You know, it's mm. you know, millions of people will use it, which is just not, that's nowhere near the scale that we were at at Content Cal, which is mm. so that's incredible and very exciting uh, on a on a personal level as well. It's still a huge, despite them being one of the best companies in on the planet. Personal, I'm still like, yeah, okay, probably get the bug again to <laughs> to do this again at some point. But you know, yeah, and you now have a book out. Uh, I do. Yeah, it was. I've, I found that very cathartic. To be honest, as mm. as self indulgent as this as this sounds. I, I purely wrote it for me because I was like, I want to be able to make sense of what on earth has just happened for the last six or so years uh, and distill it and distill it down. And if it can help anyone else, then absolute bonus um, as it happens, because, you know, it's along with that vision. It's not a profiteering exercise. I'm not there's there's no like. There's nothing that it's fueling on the back end. There's no kind of like funnel associated to it. And like the profits I've been giving to to UNICEF's work in Ukraine anyway. So it's like. Wonderful. Um, and it's called just because, Andy, you haven't mentioned oh, it yeah. yet. I'm, so bad, I'm bad at promo, aren't I? You teed me up and I failed. 
So it's called Social 3.0 and yeah. Marketing Your Agency. Yeah. So like powerful. And I and I like that you needed to make sense of it all because this space needs to be made sense of and it needs to be continually made sense of. So tell us a little bit about the book, share with people why they should take a peek. Yeah, well, it's, it's the kind of detail on on what we've just been speaking about. Um, yeah. And from the whole whole journey of creating a company to marketing a company to scaling it, um, mm-hmm. I think the, the kind of big takeaway really is is a framework, a kind of nine-step framework I put I put together to help people go step by step through this. So yeah, like you mentioned that point earlier, Fanola, about like the fundamentals, people not teaching on the fundamentals. Mm. A lot of this, like the beginning of it, is fundamental marketing strategy. It goes and starts with like biopsychology and human psychology as well. Because fundamentally, like we overcomplicate marketing. We think about like journeys and funnels or whatever. We're humans, you know, we all we all have those typical tendencies, right? And that's why I mentioned this earlier about like, you know, indexing on on emotion and over-indexing on emotion because, yeah, we like to think that people buy our products because, you know, they save time and save money. They really don't. They absolutely don't. They might say that's why, but there are deeper, more meaningful reasons why they do, which is usually about like status. So they want to be seen as doing something different. It might be through affiliation. Um, So as in like, I want to be part of something. And when you understand mm. those human drivers, uh, everything just becomes so much easier because you don't need to worry so much about like the tactical pieces of like, oh, I need to, do I need to do Instagram reels or should I be on TikTok or should I be emailing out or do, should I be split testing my emails? All of that's tactical stuff, which none of that will work unless you get the fundamentals right of like, what story do you tell for the audience that you seek to serve? Um, and as soon as you nail that, then it's not just your marketing. Everything ability. becomes obvious. Yeah, everything to do with product and business becomes obvious because, you know, it doesn't matter whether we're a customer service, sales, marketing, whatever function we're in, it all starts and ends with the customer. So, you know. I also, in my, you know, brief notes for you that I'd like to talk about, now we see the emergence of Andy Lambert, the brand. Ah, uh, Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How did that? So it's kind of interesting because it's you start with Content Cal and that has a brand identity and you move and Adobe has its own very strong identity. Now you're a published author and now there is Andy Lambert, you know, the brand with own website, all of that. Mm-hmm. And talk to me about that because that's a positioning piece. Yeah. It's, yeah. Thanks for calling it out. Uh, and also just, <laughs> just, just to be uh, just to be clear, when you say I'm a published author, that sounds sounds really good. I self-published the book <laughs> through Amazon. So still published. Yeah, yes, it's still published. It's still published. Um, but you wrote yeah. it. The hard work the is ha- done when you work. wrote it. Yeah, no, thank thank you. Um yeah, so it really is a case of, and I would recommend this for, for anyone, because irrespective of whether you're gainfully employed, look, you're an entrepreneur, journey, you're a creator economy, whatever, all that stuff we spoke about at the beginning, the the thing that really transcends all of this is your personal brand you know so uh it's one of the best investments that you could make is those investments Mm. in yourself because then you would you know because a lot of people and i feel the same um i felt the same in previous companies where you feel frustrated because you can't do the things that you want to do um or Mm. be the things you want to be and the best thing to do that is is to build a personal brand that represents your ambitions missions values or whatever 
because you take that with you wherever you go, right? Um, Whether you stay employed, doesn't matter, uh, or whether you want to start something in the future, then it's even easier. And I think that the final thing to say about that is, I think this is a quote from a guy called uh, Rand Fishkin, who founded Moz. Yeah, Um, I love him. Yeah, brilliant guy, brilliant (laughs) guy. Um, I I borrow heavily from like a lot of the stuff that he says, to be honest, because he's just super smart and he's got such a wonderfully honest attitude to stuff as well. Really open and generous with the advice. Yeah, I got to interview him when he published his book a few years ago. Oh, did you? It was just great. Yeah. Oh, awesome. Awesome. He's brilliant, brilliant guy. Um, Yeah. And, you know, he he talks about about this component uh, and when he built his last current business, which I forgot what it's called, actually. Spark Toro. Thank you very much, Spark Toro. Because, (laughs) uh, yeah, and he said this and it really resonated with me, which is, you know, build the audience before you build the product. And, yeah. and that's because all of everything that we said today is all revolved around the audience, around the customer. And that's why personal brands are so powerful because you know, that, the thing that you represent and the kind of the thing that you really care about, whether it's education, finance, social media, whatever, if you plan to do something on that, around that in the future, you're not too sure when or how or whatever, it's okay not to know when or how. I don't know what my next move is post uh, Adobe either. You know, that's okay. But what I do know is that I will do something. So therefore, I want to have a brand that I can leverage to do something. Yeah, so it's not build the product and they will come, build the audience and they will come. Exactly. Mm, That's a good way to finish our conversation. Thank you so much, Andy, for taking time out. Uh, Anytime. And thank you. Yeah, thank you for thinking of me again, Fanola. And yeah, lovely (laughs) to see you again. It's been a long time. (laughs) Yeah, lovely to see you too. Thanks again. No trouble. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you'd like to find out more about Andy, check out his website on andyrlambert.com. And if you'd be so kind to share this episode with someone you know who would find it valuable, I would greatly appreciate it. If you'd like to reach out to me about the podcast or anything else marketing or entrepreneurship related, check out finolahoward.com. And I'll be back next week with another great guest. And until then, take care.